let's start. I just want to pray. Lord Jesus, this is all about you. We're here for you because you were here for us. You gave it all for us. And you continue to give it all to us. Everything that we have, everything that we need. I thank you, Lord, for this church, for each one here, for how you're working in their lives, how you love them, and how you're showering them with grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the past, ever since I started talking here, I've been kind of going down a list. It's not my list, but it seems to be forming a list. And it seems to all tie together, so I'm going with it. Um, First time I spoke, I talked about being a disciple and how disciples make disciples. Jesus is given all authority, all authority, not just a lot of authority, all authority. And he, our Lord and Savior, commands us to go and make disciples. I talked about what a disciple was or what an attender or a fan. Not, I didn't use the word fan. That was somebody else who used that word. Uh, but we can be disciples when we go make disciples, and we can do that knowing that God is good in all that he does and all that he allows in our lives. We can step forward in faith and trust because he is good. might help if I could see what I'm reading here. He knows the beginning, the end, and everything in the middle. And when he tells you to go, he's giving you authority to go, which means you should go. (laughs) And we can trust him. Even though eventually we're going to hit trials, we can trust him that he knows what's going on and he's there with us because his grace is sufficient. When we step out as disciples and begin to make an impact on the community around us, when we start to invite people to church, when we start to talk about a Bible study we're going to, when we start to witness or just show people uh, how we handle things in the course of our life, um, we're going to face trials. We're going to face opposition. We're going to face lots of uh, negative feedback. Satan, as as Dave uh, Miners pointed out last week when he was talking about the Christian meditation and contemplative prayer, said that Satan will be throwing little things in there to, to distract you from sitting down and being with the Lord and trying to get closer to him. In the same way, Satan is going to throw up roadblocks to us when we try to step out of this building and impact the community around us. And even without Satan being involved, the world is just against anything that's not the world. The world loves itself. The world loves anyone who belongs to the world. And they will ridicule and persecute and humiliate, if they can, anybody who's different than the world, than them. And we know this and we can expect this because Jesus told us. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. 
But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Because of Jesus' name. That's the difference. We can see this going on even without stepping out into the world. We, we see it on TV. We see how the world likes to ridicule Jesus. They think Jesus is a big joke. They think anybody who really believes in that kind of thing is weak, is foolish. The gospel is foolish to them. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world... You will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We will have trouble. And trouble doesn't necessarily mean persecution or attacks or, or because of our faith. It could mean a normal lifetime event is going to be trouble. There's people here in this church who are dealing with the effects of, of life-altering things, deaths, illness, broken families, just hurting. These are normal things that everybody's going to face. But it could also mean persecution and attacks. This world is broken. Nothing works as God intends unless he's involved. The world is constantly pulling away. And when we go counter to the earth, to the world, excuse me, the world will retaliate. The world will be offended, but we offer the truth. We offer grace. And Jesus, the one who is full of grace and truth, is the one that we offer. Now, in the Bible, um, in Hebrews, the writer talks about the great cloud of witnesses that have... uh, persevered in faith. Those He talks about some of the great heroes of the Bible and how through faith this one did this, how through faith this one did that. And, and he tells us to look at them and be encouraged by them and follow them. Of course, if you go through the list, many were had performed great feats, or actually God performed amazing things through them. And then there were some who were sawn into, burned, killed. How do, you take, how do you take that and say, okay, yeah, that's for me? It's trust. That's all we can do. We can trust. God has a plan for each one of us here. His plan for you is different from his plan from you. We're all different, and he has a different plan for us. And we don't know exactly what that plan is, but we have to trust as we follow along. But I'm taking the writer of Hebrews' plan and looking at an example from the Bible. I'm going to look at a cloud of witnesses that the Bible says, and I'm going to pick out the Apostle Paul, especially in relationship to the church at Corinth, which is a church that he founded. 
Um, I think it's fitting for us to look at him, especially since Oasis is going through a kind of a reshifting. We lost track of our outside focus for a while, and we want to steer back towards that. And I want Paul as the perfect one for that. He's, he's a church builder. His big desire was to go out, bring the gospel to people, form churches, build up the body of Christ. So, Paul, a little background here. Paul was the founder of the Corinthian church. He, uh, he went there and visited it by himself, um, and he met a couple other Christians who had been kicked out of Rome, Aquila and Priscilla. He did, he did some preaching in the, uh, the synagogue, and after the Jews rejected him, um, he moved out and just went to the Gentiles. And he developed, he grew the church, God grew the church, through Paul's preaching and the Holy Spirit's leading. Um, stayed there about a year and a half. And the Corinthian church was maybe the most worldly church that we look at in the Bible. They, it was a, Corinth was an extremely wealthy city. It was filled with... Um, I don't know how good way to say it, but a lot of immorality. Um, they had temples to Aphrodite where there's thousands of uh, temple prostitutes. They called them priestesses, but the whole community, the whole society was... Um, just immoral, and uh, Paul went into that and, and started growing this small little church. And the church just took a real long time to mature, and they, they really didn't mature very far. So Paul had left. He wanted to go build other churches. He went to Ephesus. He went to other towns, other cities. And um, it turns out that false apostles came in claiming to be apostles and speaking against Paul and against Paul's preaching, about, against Paul's gospel. Paul heard about this through some people and he went, he went he wrote them letters and he went and had a, a painful visit, it's called. And uh, it was a very tumultuous relationship. So that's just the background. But these false apostles came in and they spoke against Paul so strongly and so eloquently because they were trained speakers and, and they had their own power, they said. And they said, his, it turns out that the Corinthians there actually believed these false apostles and said about Peter, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. It really didn't take much to throw the Corinthian church off track. They were very worldly, as I said. They, had, they were rich. They didn't really need to be praying for daily bread. They had everything they needed, and they had more than they needed. And Paul would say to them, here I am feeding you milk. You should be ready for solid food, but all I can give you is milk. They still tried to live as the world. They were in the world and if we look at Hebrews again about the great cloud of witnesses and we should learn from them, we can do that in the negative also. Can we look at the Corinthians and say, 
hmm, maybe that sounds a little bit too much like me. Maybe I'm a little bit too much in the world. I don't really need God for my daily bread. I'm pretty well off, and I can get all the immorality I want in this community here. We have to look at both, both examples in the Bible and judge ourselves. So, Paul ended up writing another letter, which is 2 Corinthians, and in it he had to defend his apostleship. The false apostles had, had called him a false apostle, saying that he's nothing, his gospel isn't real. So he had to step up, and how he called it, he foolishly boasted of what he's accomplished in order to save the church from the, the false teaching. And if you read it, you can tell how much he hates doing it. But if you read it, you could also tell that he's actually laughing as he does it. You'll get to that later, but here it goes. Here are some of Paul's foolish boasting. He's a Hebrew. He's an Israelite. Okay, so are the, the false apostles. He said, they're a descendant of Abraham, so am I. They're a servant of Christ. I am. I have greater labors. I've been in prison more, more um, beatings. I've faced death more, 40 lashes, beaten with rods, stoned once, shipwrecked three times. If you hear him saying this, it's easy to think, what an ego this guy has. He, he thinks he's so great. But he's like, here's the great things I did. I got beat up, I got kicked out here, I got stoned, I got shipwrecked. Danger from rivers, robbers, own countrymen, Gentiles and cities, all these terrible things. This is a guy who's appealing for his job as an apostle. It's like you going to a prospective uh, employer and saying, I've been arrested about 40 times, yeah, and uh, I got kicked out of this town and the people wanted to kill me here. You want to hire me? No. These are the things that Paul's boasting about. I'm a loser here. <laughs> I'm a loser there. So, after he goes, these terrible things that happened to him as his list, his qualifications as an apostle, he goes, um, we get to the visions and revelations that Jesus gave to him. He actually, he tells of being caught up to heaven, whether in the flesh or not. If he doesn't know, I don't know. But he heard things that no man is allowed to tell. Jesus gave him direct knowledge. He opened the Old Testament to him that nobody had ever heard before, and he was given revelations that nobody had heard before. If that isn't enough of a resume for an apostle, I don't know what it is, but that, that isn't even his strong point here. That should impress the, uh, the Corinthians, but this is his strongest point. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul goes, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, 
I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's own weaknesses actually prove that God is the one who's doing these things, that God is the power in Paul's ministry. A man so unimpressive as the Corinthians saw him, I've read about some people finding descriptions of Paul, saying that he wasn't really that tall, he was kind of bald, and he was bow-legged, and I don't know. He wasn't impressive physically in person, and he obviously... In his own words, I am not a trained speaker, he said. He wasn't very impressive person to person. But in his weakness, Jesus, his power was made perfect, made perfectly obvious that it wasn't Paul who was doing these things. It was Jesus working through him. That is a greater testimony about Paul's apostleship than him saying, I trained here, I went there, I can speak this clearly and this magnificently. Because he also says in another letter he wrote to the Corinthians, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Now, talking about weaknesses, let's be clear about one thing. Paul's thorn in the flesh, this this weakness was not a sin or a sinful habit that he just couldn't get out of. It was not an immoral, uh, a moral failing that uh, he had. He didn't have a weakness for alcohol. He didn't have a weakness for women. That's not what he's saying. This weakness, he would never boast about a weakness like that. He would never boast about sin because he goes on in Romans 6 to say, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says, by no means. And Jesus wouldn't want him boasting about that. Jesus wouldn't want him to continue on in sin so that Jesus could show his glory. That's not how Jesus wants this to go. Jesus doesn't want us to sin. And Paul's saying, you shouldn't be sinning and I shouldn't be sinning to make God look better. So Paul is not saying, Paul's thorn is not a sinful habit. It's not something that he's stuck in. His thorn, he says, is a messenger of Satan to torment Paul. Now, Satan, when he attacks like that to somebody as eminent as Paul, I guess, he wants to stop that that, uh, ministry. He wants to torment Paul. He wants to discourage Paul. He wants to to put up any roadblock, just like Dave mentioned about the contemplative prayer. He wants to stop you, and he wants to stop Paul. So he sent whatever this uh, messenger of Satan was, he sent him, and it was painful. Paul didn't just ask Jesus. He pleaded with Jesus. He pleaded that the thorn be taken out. It wasn't just an annoyance. It had the potential to ruin his ministry. So I, I don't know what the thorn was, but there are possible things that it could be. I looked some of them up, and I don't know if any of them are right or none of them are right. Some of the possibilities could be the leader of this false apostles group. 
there were men who just followed Paul wherever city he went, and they, they spoke out against him, they ridiculed him. They just wanted to stop the gospel. Many of them were, were Jews from Jerusalem. Um, also, there were, there were plenty of Gentiles against Paul. Alexander and Demetrius in different cities attacked him. Um, Paul says that Alexander did a great deal of harm to Paul. Um, it may have been a physical thing. I, I don't think it was, but it may have been. Maybe his poor eyesight, if he had poor eyesight, he talked about, look how big I have to write my letters. Maybe that's not even related. These are just possibilities, but it doesn't even matter. Whatever it was, it was painful. It tormented Paul. He was in anguish, and he wanted it taken away. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Maybe this reminds you of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take this cup from me. But God said no. And Jesus is sovereign. And to Paul, he said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. What does that mean? My grace is sufficient for you. The Bible, I mean, the dictionary says, grace is the free and unmerited favor of God shown towards man. That's pretty dry and unexciting. Um, but it's, it's, if you really believe it, it's got to be more than just saving grace. Because Jesus isn't saying, my grace is sufficient for you. He's not saying, Paul... I died for you. You've been saved by grace because of me. Isn't that enough? Can't you just deal with this? He's not saying, my grace is sufficient. You know, suck it up. No. He's saying, Paul, I know this is painful for you. But I'm doing this for your good and for my glory. And my grace, my free and merited favor, my blessing to you will bring you through this. I don't want you to go through this on your own. I'm here with you. I will go through this with you. Paul felt it, believed it, knew it, and could say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. How many times do we something face us that we, we just want it taken care of? I want it gone. It's okay to ask to have it taken away. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Paul asked three times. I don't know if it was specifically three times or just three meaning I wore myself out asking him because it's the number of completion or whatever. Ask for it to be taken away, but be open to the answer of maybe, no, my grace is sufficient for you. There are people in this church who have lost family members. There are people dealing with lots of things that are painful and I am sure are praying out for relief. Please, I am not making light of any of that. If, if I come across as thinking that I don't want to sound like I'm belittling anybody's pain because I am not. I, I want you to look at Paul 
see what he faced, the pain he went through, and know that Jesus was there with him, and he is there with you right now. So Paul, in his foolish boasting, I imagine he must have been uh, going through that list. I already talked about that. I'm going to skip that. Forget. <laughs> uh, there's a guy I know who likes to say their story is our story and our story is their story. So Paul's story is our story. And no, I'm not an apostle. You're not an apostle. Now, I haven't been taken up to heaven and seen visions and been given great revelations, and probably you haven't either. But we are called by God. We are called to be disciples. We are called to go and make disciples. No matter how weak we may appear to others or ourselves. So my question or questions to you are, what weaknesses of yours can Jesus show his power in? Are you only looking at, well, this is my strength, so this is how God is going to use me? Or are you looking at, Jesus is leading me towards this, but I'm terrible at it. So what, is, that, is, that, is that a weakness that maybe he can actually use you in to show his power? Maybe it's, maybe it's a painful thing in your life that you have. It's, um, holding you back from participating in his, his ministry. Maybe you're thinking of a painful event from another church and I'm not going to do that again. I learned my lesson. I'm not going to get involved in that because of what happened before. That could be a weakness. Whatever it is, whatever may be holding you back, the Bible says throw off everything that hinders. Give up your excuses. What what weaknesses do we allow to keep us from effective ministry? That's the excuse I'm talking about. I'm not very good at speaking publicly, so I'm not going to do this. I'm not very good at being with people, so I'm not going to get involved with that. I'm not very good at... Excuses can go on forever, but God is the one who gives you the gifts, the power to do his will. So as Christians, when we become disciples, we are given gifts. We are given spiritual gifts. We are given talents. We are given abilities that we may not have realized we had or even had that we had at all before. And they are not for us to be hiding. They are not for us to be hidden away to to keep us from being involved. God is calling you to use your gifts. God is calling you to be involved in his ministry. And as members of this church, this is the opportunity. Ministry in this church is ministry in God's redemptive plan. So I want you to consider what gifts God has given you. I ask that you would pray asking him what gifts you have. Reveal to, ask him to reveal to you what, you, what abilities he's given you, what, what talents, what passions. Maybe you have a passion for something, but you doubt your ability. 
God's power will work through you. And then seek to try those things in the church. And if you fail, big deal. We're all a bunch of losers anyway, so everybody's going to fail. So try. Seek and try. And you may be surprised that God actually shows his power in your weak little efforts. That is grace. That is God's grace. Free and unmerited that you can be given almighty God's power in this this weak little fleshy thing that I am, he can do things that I know I can't, but he can do it. Um, so Jesus is saying, my grace is, is sufficient for you, Oasian. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So in closing, I want to use Paul's benediction from 2 Corinthians. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in the grace that Jesus is just constantly making sufficient for you in whatever you're dealing with, whoever you're talking with, in whatever place you are, whatever the circumstances, God's grace is there. It's available and it's sufficient. In Jesus' name, I pray that, Lord, we would be not afraid to accept your word, not afraid to step out, and look for your grace. Step out in our weakness and see your, your power moving in us. And Lord, it's all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.